Welcome back to Moments That Matter. Our guest today is author Chris Mannion. She is an award-winning entrepreneur and speaker who writes inspiring, heartfelt stories in both the fiction and nonfiction genres. She has written a memoir titled God's Patient Pursuit of My Soul, as well as a children's story titled The Light We Cannot See, intended to comfort those who have lost loved ones. Welcome to Moments That Matter, Chris. Thank you. It's so really a thrill to be here, Paul and Scott. Well, so maybe we could start with you giving us a little bit of background on your growing up and where you went to school and that sort of thing. Uh, I was raised mostly in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, uh, with uh, five other siblings. We took a couple years off to, in Philadelphia, where I got confirmed in the second grade because the bishop only came around every eight years or so. Um, high school was in uh, uh, Bloomington, Indiana, where I took a couple courses at Indiana University, but just because I was a smarty pants person and finished all my Spanish classes in high school. Um, and then University of Dayton, I got a bachelor's degree in um, communication arts, uh, specializing in TV broadcasting. I completed it in three years, mostly because I got to go to uh, Europe for a semester abroad and drink in uh, three months of studies there, which was just fabulous. So. Um, I've been a catechist for over 20 years, teaching uh, religion classes, summer Sunday school, whatever. I got a catechetical award from the archdiocese. I don't know exactly what I did well, but uh, somebody thought I did something. Um, I think it's mostly just that the Holy Spirit works through you if you open your heart enough, you know? So obviously you are a communicator, um, majored, <laughs> majored in communications. Uh, did you always want to be an author? How did that come about? No, I didn't. Um, I, I always wrote, uh, you know, as a teenager, I would write, I had a little diary with a little key on it. So I'd write down my thoughts because I needed to process them somehow. And that was my way. Uh, but I never thought of myself as a writer. Um, I could write, but I also could play lots of instruments. I didn't necessarily think I was going to be in the symphony, you know, but um, when I was in business, there weren't a lot of good written materials in uh, the new company I was starting. So I just started using that and did that for about 30 years. And so I honed a lot of writing skills um, and learning how to talk to the proper audience, you know, without you should do this kind of a language. Uh, and only recently moved into fiction. I, I've been buying fiction books for about, I don't know, five, eight years and just stacked them on my shelf. Like for someday, maybe if I ever go into fiction, because uh, I always like to leave my mind open to all sorts of uh, creative approaches. And I know that I write deep uh, when, on spiritual topics. And um, so I uh, thought fiction might be another way for me to reach a different audience that doesn't necessarily want to go you know, into a deep, uh, spiritual path, but they want more. So that's kind of uh, how I started in writing. Um, I, my first article was about when I heard this voice uh, having this little inner conversation, which I thought was me having a conversation with myself. And it turned out it wasn't me. And uh, when my jaw came up off the floor, 
uh, and my heart stopped pounding. I couldn't do anything that whole day. I mean, I was just, it stopped me when I realized God had actually spoken to me. And um, there's a lovely story that involves banana bread with that, that I put in the book. And so that I, I had to write about that. I, I, I didn't know what else to do. And so that started, this then I became a published uh, person. And then I was like, okay, maybe I should do something about this. So that story of hearing from God uh, is part of um, God's patient pursuit of my soul. Um, so what age was that that took place, the hearing from God? Um, that was somewhere in my 30s. Oh, okay. um, I, I had a moment in, when I was 16 that I also put in the book where I did this little prayer uh, I didn't think it was any big deal. I was just in my bedroom and I'm a Catholic. So we're, we go to church every Sunday. We do our prayers before meals. We, you know, we have uh, rigid ways of praying, not rigid, but, you know, formalized ways of praying. And this was just an informal moment where I was um, feeling lonely as a teenager. Nobody loved me. I didn't have a date. I didn't have a boyfriend. I was like, well, at least I have you, Lord, you know, so I'm just going to put myself in your hands, you know, do whatever you want with me. And I got this, there was this it's time stops. It just stood still. And I had this little like, are you sure kind of question that came at me. And it probably really was God's first voice question, but I didn't at that time recognize it. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, uh oh, what did I just do? So I, re you know, I reviewed that little prayer that I did in my mind going, I don't think that I don't think I said anything particularly unusual there. So I said, yeah, I confirmed it. I, it was like I was being asked to confirm what I had just done. And so I did. And then I waited and nothing and nothing happened. So I was like, OK, well, that's that. And I just moved on. But that was, uh, you know, in, in uh, non-Catholic faiths, that's where you turn your, you know, give your heart over to the Lord. And mm -hmm. so I had that moment. But then it was like 16, 17 years later before uh, this banana bread thing <laughs> <laughs> happened. And I probably had started, I had started studying Bible study. I did Bible study fellowship about five or six years of that when my children were little and they had daycare. And that story involved um, us learning about uh, the, the, reading the story of where Moses was asking, well, who am I supposed to say, you know, to Pharaoh, who's sending me to say all these things to you? And he just said, I am. And so that inner conversation was about the I am. So I thought that was just me processing my coursework. Um, and I also remember reading about uh, an encounter that you had at a healing mass, an encounter with the Holy Spirit. Can you give us just a bit on that? Yeah. Well, I was, uh, I'm a musician, so I, I play guitar, among other three other instruments, and we um, had a healing, number of healing services at our church. A redemptorist priest came in from New York, Father Dennis Kelleher, and he was clearly saying, you know, that this was not him doing the work, that this was the Lord, and that healings could happen both physically or spiritually. So you might be coming here to heal, you know, a part of your body, but get a different kind of healing. And just be open to everything. So I'm just praying, playing my guitar, doing along. And it's like a four-hour thing. We came for an hour to rehearse to get our voices and instruments tuned. And so I'm watching all these people coming up to the altar, and um, there's catchers behind them in case they are slain in the spirit and they fall. Uh, just to be caught gently. And so I'm trying to look at my notes and catching these falling figures out of the side of my 
peripheral vision. And so afterwards, uh, we were given an opportunity to go up and get a blessing uh, if we wanted. So I'm, I went up uh, a little a bit on the not quite sure what this is all about kind of um, thinking. And so I, uh, when he came to put his hands on my head and pray silently over me, uh, I, I felt being pushed back. I thought, okay, this is exactly what I thought happens. Those televangelists on TV, that's what they do. They want some, you know, dramatic uh, visual for the television audience. And so they push these people backwards and all oh, they have to fall. So I was like, not going for that one. You know, I'm gullible in a lot of ways, but mm -mm -mm. so I just pushed back. I like locked my knees and I'm mm -mm -mm. and so I'm totally convinced he has done the pushing. And I drive home and pack up my guitar and home, I pull into the parking lot. And before I get out of the car, I get this little tiny whisper that says, it wasn't the priest who was pushing. <laughs> and I was, ah, uh, I just sat there, tears poured down my face. I didn't know what to do. Then I felt like, I, you know, I need, I, I need to confess or something. I didn't know. I was like, So I did uh, go uh, the next time there was a healing mass and I allowed myself to feel, allow the Holy Spirit to come upon me and not resist. I'm an Irish-German heritage. And so I got a lot of resistance and stubbornness in me. <laughs> <laughs> Not that any of you could relate, I'm sure. I love this. You write so um, so intimately of your relationship with Christ and your your conversation with the Trinity and and being invited into the holy dance uh, that is the Trinity. And um, I wonder, for our listeners, would you say that uh, God has a a specific anointing that He communicates with you more, or uh, that you just have an increased awareness to the presence that he has in your life in these, in these uh, events as you're going through. What would be your counsel for those who are listening who are truly hungering for more of him? How do they find more? He's a lover. So lovers are going to try everything possible in any way possible to get someone's attention there. You know, the closest thing to me is in high school where we were courting, but we did it so awkwardly. We didn't know. We noticed someone was looking at us or someone was, you know, giving us extra attention. And then we would get all blustery and flustered and act in ways that are not our normal ways. And so I think that courtship that God has with us is really similar to that. And we don't, we're not sure what to do. So uh, part of it has to do with opening your spiritual senses, helping them to become more highly tuned. It's like uh, when people walk or, or drive past something and, and all of a sudden they go, how long has that thing been there? And someone says, oh, that's been for, for years. You know, you just had never paid attention to it. So learning to um, look or just give yourself the space to look or to listen, or to see, or to stop talking in your prayer life and listening. That's I have a chapter on centering prayer, which is just about sitting in God's presence and consenting to be in his presence without doing anything, which helps fine tune those senses. Because when you're blind, everything else, all the other senses pick up the slack. And so these this spiritual senses that we have, no one teaches us about that. No one teaches how to strengthen them to visualize them like um, athletes do. There's nothing really other than allowing the Lord to 
help us recognize him. And so the more you are around him or want to be around him, if you have a pure desire, he will honor that. And he just, he just embraces that. And he knows us better than anybody because he made us. So he knows how to reach us through whatever ways that is, whether it's music or whether it's art or whether it's nature. So he, he's there, but we've got to be the ones that are willing to meet him, not even halfway, just a little tiny bit, but with a pure desire, not with the desire of, I want to be able to say that God speaks to me or any of those, that hubris that is part of the blockage of the spiritual senses to opening. I don't think he speaks to me any more than anybody else. Uh, I, I just think I worked at opening up those um, senses. And in my last chapter, I talk about how we all need to be talking about whatever these moments are, uh, because sometimes until someone tells you what it is that they've heard, you're going, oh, I know what that is. I didn't know that, you know, just like contemplative prayer, centering prayer. I was doing it. I didn't even know there was a name for it. It was, it's an actual method. I didn't know. So it's, that's where we need to talk and we need to listen to others as well as to our Lord. That's so well said. I think uh, a lot of times just the religious mentality says God's out here somewhere and what can we do to pursue him? Yet your book flips that around and says we're being pursued all this time. And when we awaken to how passionately we've been pursued, why wouldn't we fall more in love with him? Mm -hmm. Do you think that you've, as you've walked this journey with him, uh, since an even greater pull now of his pursuit than you did at the very beginning? Well, we're one now. Um, there, it, it, it's more of a union uh, than a pull. Uh, I, I haven't talked about that very much, but it, uh, it's, he's there always. And that, the first two chapters uh, lead to... Uh, Later in the book where we, I talk about this, um, it, it, it has never left me, uh, but I'm, I'm highly aware of it. And the times when I'm not aware of it, I have to kind of go, hey, hey, you know, he, he, just, he doesn't come in and just take, make a house with you for a little while and then walks away. You know, he's, he's there always. What part of you, what part of I am everywhere, you know? Uh, do we not get and so that that God in the sky piece um, where he's drawing us to him has um, gone bye-bye for decades for me and he's not all very much in me and I in him in the in the mass we we pray that before the great amen through him and with him and in him and that I, I spend so much time thinking about that I know how that he works you know everything I can do is through him. Um, and I'm with him and he's with me. I get that. But in him is the part where I'm like, wow, that's just, it's, and it's a trilogy. It's that Trinity of three dynamics um, that are working. So uh, he, he's pull, he pulls, uh, but, but now just from within me uh, uh, on my heart. And I recognize it more often. I still, because I'm so a uh, type A task-oriented person that I, I kind of just like a bull in a china cabinet and I have to uh, make sure that I stop long enough to pay attention to oh yeah because I still blow by a, a lot of little whispers that he gives me or little nudges to go visit someone or call someone or you know do things for him 
would you say that the goal of our spiritual life is union with him and that that union entering into that union really in a way starts eternity now it starts this relationship that a lot of people say oh when we get to heaven sometime down the road uh, then it really begins but instead we can enjoy that theosis that divine union now uh, yeah, I would say that um, he, he uh, there's a book called He and I that I quote often in the book. It's uh, by a uh, French actress, uh, Gabrielle de Bussy, and he, it's about her colloquy, which is communication or uh, talking back and forth, God and another person. And he says um, somewhere in there to her, uh, let's begin heaven now. Let's 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 do this now. And so, yeah, I think. Um, who wouldn't want to spend time? You know, all you have to do is think about someone that you love very much that you don't get to spend much time with. And you want, you know, that that's the goal to be able to spend more time together. And if we can do it always, um, tr- what, what stopped me was that I would read sometimes in lots of literature that said that was divine union was something just for, you know, the saints, for just a few chosen holy people, the way like Jehovah's Witnesses say there's only 144,000. They took that lumber literally instead of the 12 by 12 by 12, you know, 12 by 12, two holy numbers by um, whatever that is, a thousand, you know, a hundred. It's, it's multiplied. It's supposed to mean infinity. It's supposed to mean everybody, but they took it literally as there's just 144,000. I was like, I don't think that adds up to me. Mm-hmm. You remind me so much of one of my favorite authors, uh, Jean Guion, the French mystic, who um, wrote of a very similar path and and her desire for union with God. But um, you mentioned something in your book that I think some of our listeners might not be familiar with that uh, even recently I've learned more about. You had a spiritual director who played a big role in connecting you with just different stages and phases of um, your growth in union with God. What is the difference in a spiritual director versus uh, like maybe a mentor that people might be more familiar with? A a spirit, a mentor uh, is focusing on how to, I, how can I, if I'm the mentor, give to you some of the resources and guidance based on my experience and my knowledge, a spiritual director is mostly listening with the aid and grace of the Holy Spirit to what the directee is saying and praying for uh, what needs to be spoken back or just reflecting it back, not necessarily uh, pointing a particular path because sometimes we can hear that they already are going the way they need to go. They're just starting to, they're just questioning themselves. So, So it's listening for truth uh, you know, Jesus called himself the way of the truth and the life. So listening for the truth and hearing where is God there and where as a directee just um, tripping themselves up. 
uh, and sometimes just helping them know that that's a normal process of the spiritual journey that there's, I remember one time in the book talks about purification. Uh, well, maybe not. I don't remember. I don't remember all the things I've included there. So, uh, but online, I met this online community and we had, uh, she, this spiritual director was there guiding us. And she was telling, as I would ask questions, she was telling the rest of the community, Chris is going through a process of purification. This is normal for her to question. These are, and so someone who has greater spiritual knowledge and in the same um, vein, uh, you know, in book words, we would say genre, not necessarily denomination, but the same vein of the spiritual path that you're on. So it doesn't help to go to spiritual director. If you're a contemplative who, who doesn't have any particular interest in the contemplative life or understanding of the need for silence and listening. So that's basically the difference that your the spiritual director is not using their own knowledge. They are listening for guidance to the Holy Spirit and they're mostly listening. And they also have some, uh, hopefully have some knowledge about the path that you are on. Beautifully said. I, I feel like that's such a, a gift in spiritual directors that sometimes are overlooked by those who just think, oh, I'm gonna have a mentor tell me go through A, B, C, and D. Uh, when in reality, it's just this lovely partnership with Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening to Moments That Matter, a podcast that looks at the moments in our lives that come along from time to time that have consequences long after the moment, especially those moments that have to do with the choice of vocation. In his book, Let Your Life Speak, Listening for the Voice of Vocation, Parker Palmer speaks of a clearness committee in the Quaker tradition, wherein a group of older, wiser people ask questions of someone considering a life choice as a way of clarifying the next step. We may not meet with a committee about these big decisions, but we all have these critical junctures in our lives, which we can think of as clearness committee moments. We need to pay attention to these moments because they are profound and potentially life-altering. We'll relay stories from our lives and interview others about theirs, especially noting the clearness committee moments those we choose to recognize, and those that were sadly ignored, those decisions that were made with God in mind, and those that were not. Our hope is that these podcasts will cause you to think of the same kind of moments in your life with new clarity.